Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for how to live a happier life. This week, we'll talk about why having a quest boosts happiness, and we'll talk with the brilliant science writer, Gary Toth. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who has some exciting news. Yes, Gretchen, that's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and uh, my book, Flower, came out yesterday. Excellent. So tell us about it. I mentioned it on the podcast before. Uh, I co-authored it with a writer named Shay Olson, who's incredible, and she really sort of carried the water on this, so I have to give her credit It's a young adult book. Uh, It's a romance about a girl who all she wants is to go to college and she's sworn off guys until she um, is older. But she meets somebody who tempts her uh, Mm. to get into a relationship. So it's juicy and fun. And um, I really love it. So Flower is the name, and it's available wherever you buy books. Yes, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, uh, happiercast.com slash 98. And also, uh, I'll put an image of the cover. It's got a great cover. So Yes, I love the cover. Very delicious. And the title. I love. When, I remember when you emailed me, what do you think of this title? I was like, that is such a great title. So I'm so excited that it's it's hit the shelves. Thank you. And Gretchen, you also have something to celebrate. Yes, we are coming up on the second anniversary of Jamie's Miraculous Cure. I mentioned it last year. So my husband, Jamie, got hepatitis C from a blood transfusion that he got during a heart operation when he was eight years old. And he got hepatitis C from that before they'd even identified the existence of hepatitis C, and it was slowly destroying his liver. And uh, if you don't know, your liver is turns out to be a very important part of your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to hang on to your liver. And with the miracles of modern science, he the minute the FDA approved a treatment, he went on it. And for two years now, he has been free of hepatitis C. So we are just, um, I will never, I will never look at this time of year the same way again. Mm. Such a happy time. So great. Yes. Yes. Okay, Gretch. For January, um, we're doing a fun happiness exercise to start off 2017 on a happier note. Um, <laughs> and we've started doing this. Yep. Um, we want everyone to join us on Instagram at least once each day. We're posting a photo of something that makes us happier. Yeah. Could be something beautiful, something funny, something we're grateful for, something that makes us stick to our good habits. <laughs> Uh, whatever we want. Um, so we want everyone to join us and to tag us. Yeah, tag us. I'm at Gretchen Rubin and Elizabeth is at Liz Craft. And, you know, Elizabeth has a lot of different versions of her name. This is at Liz Craft with a C. And we're using the hashtag happier2017. So it's it's a great way to give yourself a lift. Um, you know, point out those things, those happy spots in your day. Plus, it's so fun to see what other people are posting on Instagram. And Gretchen, once we finish our uh, January project, we're going to talk about some of our favorite images from you guys on the show. Yeah. So again, follow us, tag us, use the hashtag happier2017. And another call out for, for, for you listeners for our very, very special episode 100. It's unbelievable. We are up coming up on our 100th episode. Wow. Um, we're going to answer your questions. And these are questions that um, don't 
have to be related to happiness or good habits. It can be anything that you want to ask us. Email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or leave us a voicemail at 774-277-9336 because we're just going to open it up and answer any questions anybody has on episode 100. Yes. Now, Gretchen, since the airing of episode 95, where we talked about the tragedy of the messy commons, we've heard from some rebels who did not want to be blamed for the dirty mugs in the office kitchen. (laughs) So we hear you, rebels. Uh, We don't want to blame you unfairly. Certainly weren't suggesting every mug comes from a rebel. Uh, My bad. Yeah, no, and I want to read this email uh, from Kathy, who kind of sums up like the protestations that we've heard from rebels. She'd say, she says, I'd like to offer my rebel perspective on the tragedy of the commons. It probably wasn't meant this way, but I felt like rebels got a slightly harsh rap on the podcast. Yes, Kathy, other rebels felt the same way. Hmm. Although I don't like being told what to do or given advice, I do try very hard to be a considerate and responsible person. And that's the rebel uh, identi- uh, emphasis on identity, I will note. Um, in my office kitchen, I put my dirty dishes in the dishwasher unless the dishwasher is running. Despite the fact that I'm a vet and I work in a clinic where cleaning up the kitchen is the ultimate responsibility of the support staff, not the doctors. If I worked somewhere that had a politely worded sign like, please put your dishes in the dishwasher when you're finished with them, I would absolutely do it. What I found over several jobs, though, is that usually at some point someone puts up a hysterically worded sign along the lines of, your mom doesn't work here. Clean up after yourself, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. This instantly ignites my spirit of opposition, and I will then leave my dirty dishes in the sink until the sign comes down. Maybe not the nicest response since the sign was obviously put up by someone feeling resentful and unappreciated, but I'm human, too. And I thought what was so fascinating about this is it just shows how different tendencies are responding to the situation differently. Um, And the sign that the obliger thinks is going to be very helpful is actually making the rebel turn away. So anyway, thank you, Kathy, for voicing uh, the rebel perspective. (laughs) Mugs in the sink are a universal problem. (laughs) Absolutely. So listen, uh, this week our Tried This at Home tip is to have a quest. In the past, we've talked about why it's fun to have a mission. And that's more about sort of a specific afternoon. You know, something a mission as simple as doing something like buying milk or getting an errand done. And a quest is more of a long-term adventure. Yeah, I love the romanticism of, you know, a quest. <laughs> and the first yeah. one that comes to mind um, for me is mom's quest for beautiful Christmas decorations, which has yes. been a, you know, decades-long quest, which has led to, you know, wonderful Christmases at our house. Yeah. And, you know, she now what's great is she's so picky that it's like to find something yeah. that's really worthy of adding to her collection is this victory. Yeah. Yeah. It's really rare that something meets her standard because she's yeah. she's got such elevated tastes now and what what passes for like a really, really exceptional Christmas decoration. Gretch, I remember when we went to Europe, I think I was in seventh grade and it was like all over Europe mom was searching for Christmas stuff and it was just fun <laughs> um, and it, it just gives life this yeah. little extra um, zing because yes. you, you have this this thing that you want but you don't know exactly what it is exactly exactly but I don't have anything like that I've always been I've been trying to think of a quest and I don't have one well you kind of have a quest for me because you get me bluebird stuff 
you know, bluebirds are the are the symbol for happiness. And you've given me bluebird mugs, bluebird, my fantastic bluebird T-shirt. Um, like it's the Christmas bluebird who's wearing a Santa hat. Um, so I think that you're kind of on a quest for me. Well, that's true. That's true. I do always look out for bluebird stuff for you. But then I worry, am I giving you too much of it? And so I try to pull back. Well, you know, I think that's a good point because like one thing about a quest is it has to be some somewhat elusive. If it's too elusive, it's frustrating. If it, and if it's not elusive enough, then it's not a quest. Then you're just like, like, I remember somebody saying that she loved hearts. And so everybody would get her heart stuff. But there's so much heart stuff. She was just drowning right. in it. And then she like hated hearts. Um, right, right. And I think with the blue, I don't know, at least you're, maybe you're being picky, but I feel like it's at least for me to get, it's the right amount. And like mom um, tying into the Christmas ornaments, she gets me bluebird Christmas ornaments. And there aren't very uh. many bluebird Christmas ornaments. I now have enough that I have a little tabletop tree that's got all bluebird ornaments and it looks fantastic, but it's not like I have 50. You know, I have uh. like nine. So it's still, it's elusive enough to be... Uh, like you have that triumphant moment when you like land, you know, when you achieve a moment in your quest. That's so fun. Yeah. Now, of course, we don't want quests only to be things you have to buy. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Like my friend Helen, she has an Instagram account called Los Angeles Litter. <laughs> Actually, I think it's called LA Litter, if anyone wants to look it up. Yeah. Speaking of Instagram. Yeah. Speaking of Instagram. And she just takes pictures of, you know, stuff people have left on the street, you know, whether it's like an old refrigerator, <laughs> a dollhouse, piano, the crazy things that people leave on the street in Los Angeles. And it's, it, it gives her something to do, like what to take when she walks a dog or something. She's on the lookout for crazy Los Angeles litter. Yeah, I know somebody who does the same thing in New York City with colorful street art. So she's always looking out. Mm. And, you know, another kind of quest that's sort of related to collecting is the idea of collecting an experience, you know, because there are people who sort of like want to watch every episode of Star Trek or mm. want to get every bootleg album from a certain band or, you know, it's about um, having a, like collecting an experience, having the full, uh, you know, going through every single possibility. Yeah, I know a lot of people like to go to every baseball stadium in the United yes. States, and that might be a lifelong quest. Yeah, and it's but it's an experience. It's an adventure. You're probably going to go with somebody else. Like you can see why that kind of quest would really boost happiness because it's really it's novelty and challenge, and it is that feeling that it's fun to um, kind of assemble your collection of experiences um, or something like bird watching. You know, a lot of people keep a, keep a log of every bird mm. they've ever seen, and it's it is a quest to uh, you know, are you going to go to this country so you can see this bird, or are you going to manage to you know, uh, I don't know whatever whatever rare ornithological <laughs> adventure you want to go on, um, you know, it's really exciting for people. Yeah, what I love it, it goes with your happiness thing of having something to look forward to. You know, it's you're always yeah. looking forward to the next step on your quest. Well, and also, like, to your point about Helen, instead of just thinking like, oh, look at all this litter, it's so awful, she sort of has found a way to turn litter into something fun. Yeah. Or, you know, to make it uh, sort of to vindicate it in her eyes. One thing that used to be a quest, but that isn't anymore is used books. Because I remember before you could buy books mm. online, like I would often be on a quest, I would go to someplace like the Strand, like an enormous used bookstore. And you never knew what you were going to find. Like you just had to look and look and it was like, oh my gosh, what might I find? And um, And now I have to say, I much prefer it where you could just 
you can just go get any book that you want. So it doesn't have that quest aspect anymore. It's more satisfying because you get the book right away, but it has lost that that romantic edge um, of, you know, the unexpected sighting of some, you know, random Louisa May Alcott book that fell, fell out of print 100 years ago or something, yeah. which was often what I was looking for. Yeah, I do think with um, record albums, people still are on a quest for, you know, record albums. Yeah. But um, even those, I guess you can probably just find online. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the quest, it's like you say, it's novelty and challenge. It's a sense of accomplishment. A lot of times you're engaging with other people, so it's strengthening relationships. It's making you see the world in a new way. Maybe it's changing your experience of everyday life. There's a lot in there that's going to boost happiness. And the, and I, I can't wait to hear what people's quests are because I think it's so fascinating. You, like I would never have thought of L.A. Litter. Um, I had a friend who had whose quest was she wanted to get old fashioned globes for under twenty dollars. So she was always looking mm. through, you know, thrift stores and um, gar- gar- uh, garage sales, looking because she had a very specific thing she was on a quest for. Who would have ever thought of that? And then it looked amazing. It was this amazingly cool looking collection. So I cannot wait to see what people's quests might be. Yeah, it's it's like a tattoo for me. It's like I've never thought of a tattoo that I would want to have. I can't think of something that I want to collect like owls <laughs> that, you know, I, I want to feature. You I can't, can't commit. commit. That's why I have to just have a quest on your behalf. <laughs> Well, let us know if you've managed to figure out your quest. Maybe Elizabeth will piggyback on your quest. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And as always, if you want to see the show notes related to this episode, go to happiercast.com slash 98. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Okay, Gretch, so it's time for a happiness hack. And this is one um, that you stumbled upon a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, so this is the Uniqlo Ultra Light Down Vest is my hack. And I had to look up how to pronounce Uniqlo because uh, I've been mispronouncing it all these years. But it's it's Uniqlo. And a friend of mine had this vest. And the minute I saw it, I had to have it. And it makes me so, so happy. <laughs> and the thing about it's because I'm always cold, freezing, freezing, freezing cold. And um, the great thing about this vest is it doesn't have sleeves. So you don't feel like that kind of tightness in your elbows. It's incredibly, it has no weight to it at all. So you don't feel burdened down. Like if you've got on a heavy sweater, it just sort of makes you feel weighted down, or at least it makes me feel weighted down. You can put it on over anything because it's got big armholes. It has no bulk, so it fits under anything. So I wear this vest all day long, just over my clothes. And then when I put on my coat to go outside, I just 
put it on over the vest because it doesn't take up any space. Another great thing is, okay, listen, you and I wear hoodies all the time. Mm-hmm. But do you have this problem with your hoodie that because the pockets are kind of sideways, if you stick your a pen or your phone in there, it can kind of slip out if you're not careful? Absolutely, yeah. So the great thing about the Uniqlo vest is it's got a vertical inner pocket. And so if you put your phone in, it's held in or, or a pen. It doesn't fall out because it's vertical, but it still has the side pockets for your hands. So you can put your hands on the side pockets, but if there's anything you want to hang on to, you can put it on the inner pocket. And... It's also great to pack because if you're going to a place and you're like, well, I don't really know what the weather is going to be like, or maybe I'm going to be at a conference where it's going to be air conditioned to be like 62 degrees mm-hmm. inside this conference center, or you don't know, you can just stick it in a bag because it takes up no space and it has no weight. And so you can just you can just take it in, in case you need it. Or, you know, or if you're going onto an air, airplane and you're like, oh, sometimes airplanes are so cold. Um, you can just stick it in your backpack. It even comes with a little bag to smoosh it up and put it into. Well, see, I have which is nice. I have to confess, like I didn't realize that I wanted the little bag. I threw it away when I got it, and then so I don't have the little bag anymore. Um, yes, but it does come oh. with a little bag. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have to say, I have two of these vests. I have one you gave me for Christmas, yeah. I think last year, and then I also a black one, and then I also have a silver one. Oh. So I'm also a fan of these. Um, and I am known to wear a unique low vest uh, quite often. Oh, and Lisa, you know what I found out uh, on my way here is that Kristen also is a huge fan of the Uniqlo vest. So, um, yes, everybody who has one loves it. <laughs> yeah, it's a new. It's definitely a New York phenomenon. Well, I'm going I have one with me right now. I wore it to the studio, so I will take a picture of my Uniqlo vest uh, here in the studio for anybody who can't picture what it looks like. It's just a. It, it's just like a a downish looking lightweight vest. But it can change your life if you're cold all the time. And I'll just spell it for anyone who's interested. Oh, yeah, yeah. U-N-I-Q-L-O. Yeah, and I'll put a link in happiercast.com slash 98. Gretchen, it is time for an interview. Today we are interviewing Gary Tobbs. Gary is a best-selling, award-winning science writer. He studied applied physics at Harvard, aerospace engineering at Stanford. Now he's a writer who studies scientific controversies. His last several books have focused on nutrition and health, and he's your personal hero. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I talk about Gary Tobbs' work a lot, um, especially his book, Why We Get Fat, because reading that book, Why We Get Fat, led to the single biggest change in my habits ever. And in my book um, about habit change, uh, Better Than Before, in the chapter of The Strategy of the Lightning Bolt, I describe after how reading his book, um, I was hit by a lightning bolt and overnight I stopped eating practically all carbs. And then, Elizabeth, as you know, after hearing me talk about it, perhaps ponderously, um, our father also gave up carbs. That has led to huge health benefits for him as well. And he's also a huge fan of Gary's work. So today, Gary is here to talk about his new book, The Case Against Sugar. Hello, Gary. Hi, guys. Hi, Gary. (laughs) Now, before we get into this, I have to tell you that this is a conversation that I have been dreading. (laughs) Uh, The second I saw your title, The Case Against Sugar, I, I was just like, oh, I do not want to hear this. And I think I speak for a lot of my listeners or listeners when I say this is frightening, but I know that it's important. So I'm forcing myself to 
have this conversation and um i'm just and i'm just gonna hope that i uh, don't have a meltdown when i hear about how bad sugar is especially as a type 1 diabetic uh it's important information <laughs> well your work has changed gretchen's life and many lives so you know it's important it's just sometimes you know we have to take our medicines so <laughs> Um, now, in, in why we get fat, Gary, you you made a specific argument, and in the case against sugar, it builds on that argument, but it's going deeper into a, the specific role of sugar. So, tell us a bit about your vision of the role that sugar plays in uh, in what we see in kind of worldwide health uh, trends right now. Yeah, and it's pretty simple, and it's what you have to keep your eyes on. A lot of this nutrition business is, is asking the right questions and then trying to answer those questions. So the question I'm asking is, what's causing the epidemics of obesity and diabetes that we see worldwide in every single population that has contact with Western diets? Doesn't matter who they are, how they live, they start eating our diets, they get obese and diabetic. What's causing that? that simple. And the conventional explanation is <clears throat> these are multifactorial complex disorders, and I don't buy that. Um, I think ultimately this is, you know, like any epidemic, something simple, and the prime suspect is sugar. Well, one of the things I found most persuasive about the case against sugar is you know, there's all this thing like, well, with science, you know, you know, how do we do the research about nutrition? How do we, you know, uh, people do self-reporting? There are all these problems. But really, your point is the world is our laboratory. We've had a gigantic laboratory experiment going on for, you know, for 100 years. And like, look anywhere in the world. And no matter what people were eating before, this is what you see. So just so explain that a little bit more, because to me, that was absolutely compelling. Well, and that's, you know, I like to use criminal justice metaphors, as you know. So you, we have these crimes being committed everywhere in the world. Um, and the crime is, you know, this massive increases in obesity and diabetes from virtually nothing to, you know, one in, in some populations, one in two adults are diabetic. I mean, it's stunning. And so... You know, this is the crime, and, and you're the police investigators, and you want to know it's the same crime everywhere you look. It's probably the same perpetrator, and everywhere mm. you look, you know, sugar is present. Sugar has recently entered the diet or recently increased significantly in consumption. And what's the difference, like, sugar versus carbs? Because carbs turn into sugar... Is it all carbs? I mean, I know you're an advocate of a low-carb diet. So this is a point of invariably much confusion, and many authorities still get it wrong. When we eat potatoes or pasta or bread, uh, the primary carbohydrate in those foods is glucose. And when we digest it, the glucose gets broken down and it gets dumped into our bloodstream, and our blood sugar goes up, another use of the word sugar, and that blood sugar is glucose, okay? When I talk about sugar, and when we talk about sugar and common usage, we're talking about a different type of carbohydrate. So we're talking about a mixture of glucose and a carbohydrate called fructose, and fructose is what makes sugar sweet. Fructose is the sweetest of these carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So remember I said glucose gets 
dumped into the bloodstream, our blood sugar goes up, virtually every cell in our body uses glucose for fuel. The fructose has a different fate. It goes to the liver, and our liver metabolizes it. And the argument is our livers never evolved to deal with mm. the level of fructose that gets dumped on them mm. when we consume something like a soda, you know, which is all the calories come from sugar or high fructose corn syrup. Half of them are fructose. You drink it quickly. It gets dumped on your liver and your liver starts desperately trying to figure out how to, what to do with it. And one of the things that the liver does when it's trying to deal with the fructose from the sugar is turn it into fat. Mm. Um, so that's what I mean when we were talking about, you know, not only can we put sugar at the scene of the crime and populations, but we can put it at the scene of the crime in the body. And my question, Gary, is if, if you cut out, say, half the sugar that you eat, is that a significant improvement or do you really feel like people shouldn't be eating sugar at all? Well, I think that it's just, anything is an improvement, okay? So clearly the problem is how many of us can just cut out half the sugar we eat and is it enough of an improvement? Right. So, you know, as a type 1 diabetic, if I told you you could be definitively healthier, I'm noticeably healthier, it would even be easier to control your blood sugar, it would be, you know, you could use less insulin and less other medications, and all you have to do is, you know, quit sugar. It's going to be difficult, just like you were a smoker, and I said, look, we all know you are going to feel better. And be healthier when you quit smoking, so it's going to be tough. It might take you, you know, the first month is going to be awful, but after that, it's, you know, it's going to get easier and easier, and eventually you'll never be, you'll get to the point you could never imagine that you ever smoked. So I'm saying the same thing could probably happen with sugar. So, you know, cutting it in half might help. I mean, you'll probably be healthier. I would expect you to be healthier. But you're still going to have the cravings. You're going to want it. You're going to think about it all the time. It's going to be your reward food in life. Oh, good. I got through that. Now I can, I've earned a Snickers bar today or whatever it is. Um, whereas if you could quit, you just won't think about it anymore. I used to be a smoker. I don't think about cigarettes anymore. And does cutting out sugar, I'm still confused, not sure about this. So maybe others aren't either. Does cutting out sugar mean like cutting out bread? Or is there a distinction? You know, so two different questions. The first, and this is where people get confused. The first question goes to the fact that there is sugar with, you know, the fructose rich sugar in virtually every processed food. I think the, I saw a number the other day, 74% of all foods in the supermarket have sugar in it. So if it comes in a can or a, you know, bag or a wrapper or it's in a freezer, it's probably got sugar in it. Um, only the outside of the supermarket aisles tend to be sugar-free, and that's one reason why virtually every diet, from low-fat diets like the kind Dean Ornish prescribes to high-fat diets of the kind Atkins made famous, they all tell you to shop on the outside, you know, the 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 outside aisles of the supermarket because those are the ones without sugar and white flour. Um, the second question is if you're you know, obese or diabetic, or you're predisposed to get that way, you gain fat easily. Now, what do you have to do to prevent that or reverse it? And for a lot of people, that means going on a, a 
a low carb, high fat diet where you're replacing even the, you know the breads and the pastas and the potatoes, even foods that don't have you know sugar as we've been talking about in them. And that's a different issue than you know what's actually triggered the epidemics to begin with. Well, Gary, I have to say you make a very compelling argument. Thanks. Uh, now. We ask all of our guests for a try this at home tip. I'm guessing I know what yours is going to be, Gary, but do you have a try this at home tip for us? Yeah. Um, my try this at home tip is clearly, you know, just try living without sugar. Give it, I, I, like any addiction, if you think, oh my God, I can't have this ever again in my life, it's going to be too much to deal with. So I think it helps to go day by day or even give yourself, I'm going to go a sugar-free week mm -hmm. and I'm going to have my family help me go a sugar-free week. So maybe we're all going to go sugar-free weeks, even though my kids are going to be mad at me the entire <laughs> week. And if I get through a week, let's see if we can do a second week. And ideally, you do it long enough that you can really get a feel for you know, how life feels, instead of how life feels craving sugar, how life feels when you get past the cravings mm. and now your body is beginning to recover and you can see how you feel. And that might take a few months, but if you start off saying, I'm going to go three months without sugar, you might not make it. So that's the balance, but try it. A lot of this is about experimenting. Right. Well, one thing I talk about a lot in Better Than Before is abstainers versus moderators. And the fact is, for I'm an abstainer, and I absolutely 100% found what you said to be true. Once I gave it up altogether, it just went away. It, I didn't. I wasn't tempted by it. I don't think about it. It doesn't. It doesn't weigh on my mind. It doesn't distract me. But I think sometimes if you just have a little bit of something, it just constantly keeps that noise in your head, and you feel like, oh my gosh, I can't resist it. It's just overwhelming me. Whereas if it's totally off the table, for people who are abstainers, that's actually much easier to, to deal with. It's much easier to have none than to have a little bit. It sounds harder, but actually for a lot of people, I think none is actually much easier to deal with than a little bit, especially with something like sugar, where the minute you want it, you're just like, ooh, I would love another well, one. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Now, this is, you know, we've we've clearly, we think the same way. And I, I'm, yeah. in, my experience is informed by my smoking history, where clearly, like, you know, smoking in moderation was not on the table. But I, too, it's like, if it's not, if I'm abstaining, I don't think about it. I'm not craving it. Yeah. Um, put it in front of me yeah. or put it in, somebody just sent me some paleo treats as an experiment a few weeks ago and they were delicious <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of sugar they were sweetened with honey because they're paleo and there wasn't a lot of it and i thought about them all the yes. time mm. like <laughs> yeah i'm having i'm trying to get work done and i'm having a mental discussion with yes. my refrigerator <laughs> three floors away um finally i went down ate the rest of the bag about 15, you know, binge ate the paleo treats and then I didn't have to think about it again, but I will not order them because they are delicious. Right. Mm -hmm. Perverse thinking, but if they're not in my house, I don't think about it. Well, and I think what you're, I think what that points out is like, this is all about really how do you have a happier, healthier life? You know, because maybe you're different. Maybe you're a moderator. Maybe you don't have issues with sugar. What, you know, I mean, everyone's different. And I think you said uh, your advice in your try this at home is like consider it an experiment. Because really, this is all about just like, if you want to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, what might you try? What might you do? What approaches might you think about in order to bring your life uh, 
you know, into a reflection of what you want it to be. And when people are having negative consequences that they don't want to experience or they're distracted by cravings or something like that, it's like, okay, well, what might you try? To address that. And this and I, I mean, I just I feel like, you know, and I've said it before so many times here, you know, I'm like your biggest fan. I just feel like you are able to articulate something that has just been transformative for me in terms of you can just let this go and you will be happier and healthier for it. And so thank you so much for coming to do this interview. It's such a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> thank you, guys. It's uh, it's been wonderful. I, I'm grateful. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So um, I did an interview with Gary uh, because The Case Against Sugar is like a mind-blowing book that's full of big ideas. And so after I read it, I was like, I want to do an interview with Gary where I sort of go through and just highlight the big points. Um, and so if you're interested in reading that interview, you can email me at podcast at GretchenRubin.com uh, and I'll send that to you. And then, but The Case Against Sugar is full of, there's so much more research and uh, analysis, uh, you know, and all the points that Gary made and, and many, many more fascinating points that we didn't have time to talk about. So, um, so again, thanks, Gary. Thanks, guys. Okay, Gretch, it's time for demerits and gold stars. Now you are up with a happiness demerit. Yes, this is a writing-related uh, demerit. So I, um, I'm working on my book uh, about the four tendencies, which is coming out in September. And um, you know, as you do at, when you write a book, is you hand in a draft, and then you get a bunch of edits from your editor, and then you revise mm -hmm. it, and then you know you go through that cycle a couple of times. And so my editor Mary gave me back my edits on my book, and um, the fact is, the minute I had those, I didn't want to do anything else. I was just like wanted to work on that morning, mm. noon, and night. And the fact is, my 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 work as a writer has sort of evolved from the way it was maybe 15 years ago, where I have a lot of stuff that I need to do. We, we got to do the podcast. I've got my blog to update. I've got my better app to stay up to date with. I've got emails to answer. You know, I've got a bunch of like different little balls that are in the air. Um and for a good like three days, I basically did nothing else. I was just so focused on the book. I could not, I just couldn't tear myself away from mm. it, which in a way you would say, oh, well, that sounds productive and it's good and you were focused on everything. But I realized I, I give myself a demerit because that is just a productivity luxury that I cannot allow myself. Like being a grown up is being responsive when people need information from you. It's not being a bottleneck. It's keeping up with things. And in the end, I just had to like paddle frantically to catch up. And, mm -hmm. um, and so now I'm really trying to think of editing my book as like, you know, I'm going to do that for several hours during a day, but I also have to make sure that I spend a good part of the day doing all the other things that are also important to me. It's not like I don't enjoy them or I don't think they're valuable. It was just sort of like this weird thing happened in my brain where I just like, I simply was mesmerized by her edits and could <laughs> by your own writing. I mean, well, it was by her, her criticisms of my writing. And then, you know, I had to think about all the things we talked about, about how to handle criticism because I had to go through all that oh. stuff too. So it was a lot of it was emotional management, managing the, yes. the emotional state that you get in when you're, you know, you've got just pages upon pages upon pages of criticism. Um, but anyway, now I, I feel like I've kind of worked through that and have a little distance. And so now I'm in a, have a more balanced approach as I move forward. I learned my lesson. Good. You've, you, you're improving. <laughs> yes. Always evolving. Always evolving. Yes. Better, happier. Um, but Elizabeth, I'm very excited by your gold star. 
uh, for reasons that will become obvious. So what's the gold star this week? Yes, Scratch. Uh, This week, my gold star, and I'm sure you want to add um, your own gold star to this, goes to your daughter, Eliza, who, drumroll please, got accepted to Harvard. Yes. And I give her a gold star because the whole process of applying to college and getting ready to apply for college and writing essays and taking SATs and worrying about grades was so stressful. And she talks about that stress um, on her podcast, Eliza starting at 16. Um, So you can hear the whole story there. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, it was just such an intense pressure really for years leading up to this. And then uh, she got accepted and, and to Harvard, of all places. So this is just wonderful news. And I'm very proud of her for getting through it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say she handled it with a lot of grace and good humor and only occasional freakouts. Um, and, and it's, and it's all behind her now. So it's, it's really thrilling. She's just absolutely beside herself. And um, yeah, it's exciting. So it's a tough process for anyone who's going through it now or who has a child uh, that's going through it. It is a long, tough road. So gold star to everyone who's yes. dealing with that right now. <laughs> yes. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Have a quest. And let us know if you tried it and let us know what was your quest. Maybe Elizabeth will join you in your quest. Yes, I'm searching. We love hearing about these. And also, we've gotten so many lovely, lovely uh, suggestions for our the collection of funeral readings that we're doing. So if you have um, any suggestions for fu- funeral readings, I'm putting that PDF together. So keep those coming. Um, it's really, we've had so many uh, really, really thoughtful, wonderful um, suggestions. Huge thank you to our brilliant guest, Gary Tobbs. Also, thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. As always, if you like this show, it helps us if you tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. And remember, if you want to talk more about the podcast or go deeper or make a suggestion, every week I do a live video discussion about the most recent episode or really about anything else anybody wants to talk about. I do a Facebook Live video every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you want to see the schedule, it's at happiercast.com slash video. And it's a great way to have a conversation where um, you can really talk back and I can hear you in real time. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.